So I'm a big believer of like, you do what's right for the business in how you structure your teams. There is no right or wrong. Like I am so tired of hearing everybody say like, no, this person should own it. And this per- it's not black or white. This is Revenue Makers, the podcast by Sixth Sense, investigating successful revenue strategies that pushed companies ahead. Simo, you ready for today's episode? I sure am. Why don't you tell everyone who we're talking to? I am happy to do the honor. So today we've got Christy Falteruso, who's the Chief Customer Officer at Client Success, and really an expert, a leader, a Sherpa, if you will, in the world of customer success and revenue strategy. Yeah, I mean, we're challenging the age-old idea that revenue is solely the job of sales and marketing teams. Christy's got a fresh perspective, and it's all about how every single person in the organization plays a vital role in the money-making game. It's not just about selling stuff. It's about following a smart plan that leads to long-term success. And we can guarantee you that by the end of this episode, you're going to see things differently and really understand how to keep the revenue rolling in quarter after quarter. You want to dive in? Let's do it. So, Saima, we're here. It's the first episode. It's happening. It's happening. But I think we've got, there's no other guest that could have been first. It's killer, killer first guest. Killer we're talking about revenue teams. So we're going to start with CS, but we're not just going to start with CS. We're going to start with just an amazing, amazing guest. So Christy Falteruso, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I am so honored that I could be the first guest, yes. which means I'm going to set the tone here, right? We're going to make this fun. We're going to make it informative. I want to make this such that every other guest will have to aspire to making like their conversation as fun and informative as this is going to be. They're going to have to give up. I mean, we might right? actually lose. We might only have one, one episode. One episode. This is it. Listen, one, one and done. done. If you nail it, then you only need one, right? We'll just do a director's cut. We'll make it longer. <laughs> we'll make it like four hours long. I think we can do it. But just for the folks listening, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you in your background. So chief customer officer, client success, which is kind of meta because you're running customer success at a customer success software company. Oh my God, it is is the most meta thing ever. So I'll do a quick little intro and then I want to dig into that for like a second because I get a lot of questions and comments about that. So yes, Christy Falteruso, I'm currently the Chief Customer Officer at Client Success. We are a customer success management solution. So we help our customers manage from new to renew. So that entire post-initial sales life cycle, right? I know it's catchy. That's cool. Um, And so I've been in customer success for nearly 12 years, building, scaling, and transforming customer success teams. That's kind of like my little shtick. Prior to that, I did 10 years in marketing, but nobody's ever interested in hearing about my marketing background. But I will say, marketing is the most solid foundation for customer success, especially as we think about scale and all the future of where customer success is going. But yes, so long time in customer success, long time in marketing, first time here. So very excited. Can I make a comment on the client success meta customer success for customer success? Everyone thinks that that must be the most rewarding and fun job. Oh my gosh, you get to just talk about customer success all day. I literally live my life under a microscope. Everyone watches every single thing we do for better and for worse. And they just all have such high expectations. They assume that we will do customer success the way they do it for their customers. So if they're not getting the same experience they would deliver, they feel like I'm failing them. And I'm like, well, Customer success is not a one-size-fits-all. It's not even a one-size-fits-most, which means our experience that we're trying to design is going to look different because of our size, our market, our customers, our product, right? right? Like, cut me a break. It sounds <laughs> this is very tough about 
being in marketing at Sixth Sense, Simon, I think you could probably. I know. So as somebody who runs marketing for Sixth Sense, we have to be the best customer. We have to be the best user of our platform. We have yep. to be pushing folks and almost guiding the industry on all the possibilities. And so I empathize, but I also think it's a great opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. And I always say, like, listen, I have to highlight some of the tough things about it because I think people think it's just all glamorous. But the opportunities that I do have are tremendous. And the work that I do get to do with a lot of our customers, it really is a huge privilege. And that's not something that I look at lightly. Our customers really do rely on us and kind of guiding them to their North Stars and really helping them design their customer success infrastructure, obviously operationalizing it around technology. But I get to have all those fun conversations, too. So there is some sunshine from time to time. Kind of dim and gloom. All right. Well, so... The theme of our really the theme of our entire series is about one team, right? One revenue team, which I mean, everyone that's a cliche term, maybe I, I don't know. I think it's powerful, but just to jump into like some Q and A here, like what does one revenue team mean to you, and how does that work into your life every day at at Client Success? So I don't know that I think about it as like one team because then it's like you know I always say if. Nobody owns it, then nobody owns it, right? So yeah. it's like everyone's got to be accountable for things and different people to do different work. It's less focused on like the one team and more as like the one metric, mm. right? And having some kind of North Star that we're all collectively working towards, but everyone is accountable for. And I feel like that is really the, the key part of this is accountability. And I feel like this is where things come into play, right? Funny things like quota and targets and who owns this and who owns that. That's what really drives accountability, and accountability is what's going to help you get there. So I think if there is one, one metric, there can be one team. Yeah. So just on that for a second, one team with different you know, levels of accountability, to me, that goes back to having really clear rules of engagement, yep. having really clear metrics and plan almost for each of those individual teams. So can you talk a little bit about how you make sure that that clarity is there and there aren't there isn't confusion on who steps in where and where that handoff might be. So I wish that there was just a simplified way for me to respond to that because every company, every team looks different. Every product is different, right? Now, if I'm using client success, we are like the simplest form of clear rules of accountability and ownership because we don't sell an enterprise solution. I don't sell something that it has, I'm not Adobe, I'm not Oracle, I'm not like there's not 30 different products in my suite where things get really hairy. For us, it's, you know, my team generally, we own a solution, we sell more licenses, we manage the renewal, we manage the growth. It's pretty simple. So rules of engagement there are easy in the sense that we have a new logos team that is responsible for net new revenue that is coming from new logos. And then we have our organization and specific people who are responsible for retention. So renewal specifically, as well as upsell and expansion. Like I said, for us, it's pretty basic in the sense that we're selling more licenses and we have like maybe a couple like product add-ons. But when you get into organizations where there are deep levels of complexity, that changes. And I want to say that it's easy to define things, but it's not. There's always going to be these kind of outlier situations. So I try to define for the 80% of like, okay, how can we get close enough to addressing all of the use cases there? And I would say this is where it's like you have to have total ownership. And when I think about total ownership, it's like everyone has to own something and be clear about what that is. Now, obviously, there's going to be these situations that will require us to all bend and move and do what's right, hopefully for the business and the customer. I think the rigidness of certain processes doesn't serve all well, but I think that total ownership will help address that. And I think if you can nail that, who owns what, 
defining what roles and responsibilities, engagements, who to go to for what, sequencing and all that starts to kind of take shape in a, in a better way. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about like, and again, this is probably the, I don't want to say the easiest thing for you to do, but you're sitting in your role, like you're about the customer, right? And I would imagine you start talking about sales quotas, not imagine, I know you start talking about sales quotas and numbers and so forth. And people start to forget about the customer a little bit. And like, oh, it's numbers. And so like in your world, like how do you keep that, keep the customer at the core with all this kind of other noise going on and make sure like you're focusing on their needs and you're focusing on them and not just how you're doing business or how you're hitting your number. So I was then actually in a really uncomfortable panel recently where I was basically attacked for how I felt about certain things. Oh, and, no. and listen, they brought the, you know, it's, I think people try to make me uncomfortable to see if I like, I'll fall under pressure. And I did, I completely fell apart emotionally. because I was like, well, maybe you're right. But basically the whole concept, the stance that they took is that everyone should have a quota. Everyone in the company should have a quota. Right. Now, when I think of quota, I'm thinking revenue, right? My head goes to dollars right away. So I'm like, how can everyone have a quota? And if you're a customer success professional or customer professional, whatever your title is, how can you do the right thing if you're incentivized to do things that might feel inorganic for the customer, right? Like pushing somebody to do something that they're not ready to do because you have to hit a target to me does not feel like the right thing. But what I was able to wrap my head around and going back to like ownership and accountability, quotas don't have to be tied to revenue. You could have a quota tied to metrics that are the leading indicators tied to revenue. And so if you do this, this will come, right? So if I have my team focus on a quota around a leading indicator, could be metrics, any KPIs, whatever I feel like is appropriate there, set the quota there, create targets on the lagging indicators like retention or growth or whatever. If this, then that. So yeah. I think it's how we think about breaking those things down. But I don't like I don't like revenue quotas for customer facing roles. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to this whole like uncomfortable panel where it sounds like they oh were my God, it was like, the worst. nice CS panel or something. I didn't was... know. I didn't I honestly like they did not prep me. I thought it was going to be like a QA and like it was gonna be cute and fun. I was like, yay. <laughs> And then it wasn't, and it felt like an attack. I was under siege. I was not prepared. Well, well some... there's no attacks here today. I mean, <laughs> no I mean, attacks. We could maybe. For I'm prepared long. now. Now I have a stance. Don't attack me, please. Be nice. Okay, so so jumping into it. So you talked about metrics, right? And I agree metrics can be revenue-based or they can be leading indicators. And that's a great way to align the teams around a common goal or North Star. What other strategies or approaches have you found that are just effective in getting those teams aligned around a North Star? The metrics are one. Anything else you do? I think it's the culture of how you run the organization, to be honest with you. But like bringing teams together, one tactical approach that I've actually really loved, and again, it will work in some companies, but not all. In another organization where I led, we actually built out pods. And the, the pods were a really great infrastructure that allowed us to have designated roles and responsibilities in each of the customers that lived within that pod, right? Like, so all the customers that we supported, it was very clear who did what in that relationship. But why this worked is because there was such strong collaboration and alignment between those folks that were working together. They had one unified outcome. It was to make that customer successful and make the business successful. And so how we got there if the customer was successful, the business would be successful. So the business was the ultimate North Star because we wouldn't be able to get there if we didn't do all the things to support it. So having a very clear business metric, we then worked backwards and said, here's all the things that will enable us to get there 
and here's who's going to do what and how we're going to get there. Having that really clear, defined plan that said, if ultimately the customer gets everything that they need, they have a great experience, they're reaching all their goals, we do all the things to get there, the business goal can be the North Star, and it's not inorganic because that is to say we've did everything right for the customer. Yeah. But that infrastructure really helps support that level of collaboration and alignment towards those metrics. Yeah. And I'm hearing one other thing, which is so key, is you know, to have the plan and the rules of engagement and the culture, but then the communication and enablement of that across oh, well, the org yeah. so that there is no ambiguity, so that there is, you know, you almost have to reinforce it again and again to just check in and make sure that everyone is still, again, rowing in the same direction. Let's unpack, you just talked about like the enablement there. The big challenge that I see here, especially as we think about customer-facing teams managing commercials, right? Like, I don't care if it's upsells, expansion, cross-sells, call, whatever you want, renewals. They're not properly enabled to do this. Look at the big wave and the influx of professionals that are breaking into customer success. You know what the big wave has been lately? Teachers. Wow. I I don't know any teachers who have managed revenue in their role. They're not charging students every day. They should probably charge the parents. But so you've got these people who don't have any experience managing revenue. They don't have experience necessarily, like direct experience, right? They have transferable skills, but like direct experience, managing revenue, managing business conversations, negotiating. But yet we take these people and we say, here, you're going to own this bag. You have to own this money. This is your target. But we don't teach them how to do it. We don't enable them. We're not coaching them. We have these expectations that just because they're engaging with the customer, they should be able to do these things. And so I do think that a big part of it does come down to that enablement, too. If you want your teams to do certain things, you have to teach them how to do them. So you're talking about, you know, teaching them and so forth. And again, in a larger organization, should they even be doing it? Should you be completely stripping away from CS, have them focusing pure on that? You have an account management team that does all the financials, which I've worked at orgs that have done that and have done it to great success or to just total failure. And again, I think it's every company different. Obviously, you're not you're not set up that way now. But like, what's your view on that? Is that something that does work or can work depending upon the org? Or so I'm a big believer of like you do what's right for the business in how you structure your teams. There is no right or wrong. Like I am so tired of hearing everybody say like, no, this person should own it. And this per- it's not black or white. And to be very honest with you, I am in the process right now. I was actually just in a meeting right before we got on to here to record. I'm breaking out my team into specialty roles. I no longer will have a generalist. My CSMs, guess what? They are no longer owning retention. They're not going to own upsells. They're not going to own any expansions. I'm moving that away because I need them to focus on different things. I need specialty roles in order to support our scale. We cannot scale by saying one person does everything and expect that to work. My model is breaking every single day. We bring on more customers I can't support it because we're also not in a place right now, like many companies right now, we're struggling in this economy. I can't hire more people. And the only way that model works is by hiring more people. So I don't believe that there is a one size fits all or one size fits most customer success model where any one person should do this. I'm breaking it out. And I've done it where I've had teams where CS owned all of it. I've had teams where I've had account managers who owned renewals. I've had, and the CSMs owned expansions and upsells. I've had AEs come in and own cross-sells, so where you're selling into a new business unit in a large organization where there's a new buyer, a new use case, new budget. Like, I've seen it done a million different ways. There is no right way to do it. There's no one way to do it. There is a right way. There's not one way. 
So I think it really does just come down to, you know, it depends. What does your business need? I love that. And I agree because, you know, again, not the same thing won't work necessarily for everyone, but you're in an interesting position, right? You spoke about having something in place and now adjusting it because you need to scale. So could we get specific on what you are going to have the CSMs own moving forward in your new model and who will own the rest? Because I think it would be really valuable for listeners to even just hear. Yeah. So I'm breaking apart the whole org. So again, historically, my team, they managed new to renew. So again, keeping on with our little slogan here at Client Success, they did everything from the handoff from sales. They managed onboarding. They did the partnership kickoff. We did the transition into that long-term and you know period of time that happened in that customer journey, managed through renewals, growth, anything. They did it all. So what I've decided to do is double down into four areas. What I spent a lot of time doing the past couple months is analyzing all of our historical data. Why do customers stay? Why do they churn? What do they need? I've gone through it all, right? Customers who are at risk now. Oh, man. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to to make a decision and justify and get other executives pay attention if you're not using data. So if you're not comfortable with data and you're listening to this, go get your data chops all teed up. Yeah, go go, go learn. So dug through everything. And what I realized is that, like, listen, our customers, even if we onboard them well, things fall off. This is because of a multitude of reasons, right? There's not enough buy-in. Organizationally, the person who purchased doesn't know how to drive change management. That's actually probably the bigger thing. Ongoing prioritization of these things, shifts change, their use cases change, executive stakeholders change, right? There's a multitude of things that happen throughout the life cycle. So what I wanted to do is actually spend more time up front. So we're building out a specialty role for onboarding and enablement. So one of the things that's interesting is when I did my SWOT, I thought about kind of like what our competitive landscape looks like. Nobody in our space really has nailed onboarding to the extent where I am trying to take it, where it's an experience. It is not only that, it is going to be the fastest, most accelerated, most thorough, personalized experience that we can provide for our customers. That's not something anybody else in our space is really focused on to the extent that we are about to take it. So we're going to have resources allocated to onboarding with a ton of KPIs and metrics that are tied to that, that are looking at things like integrations, adoption, usage, change management things, sentiment from customers, sentiment from executive buyers, right? And then they don't get to stop their data and KPIs once onboarding is over. We actually track that over a period of time because the work that they did up here, again, lagging indicators, I'm going to see that trickle down. If they were properly onboarded, we should see things move up. If they weren't, things will likely move down. So only looking at it in a vacuum isn't the best way to look at that. So onboarding is one thing that we're breaking out, onboarding enablement. The other thing that we're doing is we are specializing CSMs across different segments. We've had kind of each CSM manage a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. It's really hard to keep switching hats. With some customers, you need to be so strategic. With other customers, you're triaging. With some customers, you're just trying to get them engaged. It is very difficult. So we've resegmented the book. We will have customer success leaders or managers who are going to be over each specific segment and only manage within that segment. We have designed a new scaled and community person. This person will manage the lower tranche of customers that we have who probably just need a different level of support. And honestly, if we were just mapping towards economics, right, like what we can actually provide for them, they'll get a lot, but it will be through scaled mechanisms and channels. This person will also manage our community. So we haven't really had anybody focus on that. And I will tell you, if you're thinking about community, you need to have somebody accountable for for that. It doesn't just succeed on its own. Um, And then we've got the renewal specialist. So for the CSMs, their real focus there is that ongoing adoption, enablement, engagement, relationship development, 
ultimately, their goal is to make sure that all of our customers become advocates. And so there's going to be a lot more scrutiny around that. When we think about advocacy, it's not just things like, oh, how many referenceable customers do you have? We want to see things like that are tangible and tied back to revenue. Like how many of these customers actually translated to customer referrals that generated new pipeline and did the pipeline close? Of these customers, how many of them are second order revenue? Did they leave, go to another organization, come back, rebuy again? So yeah. if you're a CSM and your customer leaves or your champion leaves, that's so, it, I don't say that's okay. But if they come back, you likely had a big part of influencing that, right? They had a great experience. They got what they needed from the partnership and the product so much so that they're coming back. So we're dialing in different metrics for our CS team. You will never hear me talk about things like NPS or things like that. NPS to me is a company metric and it's a data point. It is not something that people should be compensated against or measured against because there's so much that goes into it. But it's really going to be focusing on the business impact that they're going to be able to have. Retention will be a lagging indicator for them. No, you said you said we talk about data, right? So let's Simon wants to ask this question, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> so sorry. Go for it, Adam. So looking at your dashboard or looking at what you're constantly looking at, I have a dashboard, Simon has a dashboard. I click refresh on human amounts of time to the point where Salesforce gives me an error. There's somebody sitting at their data center going, this guy is whacked in the sky. I might need to know what's on your dashboard so much so that you're hitting refresh. It's a great dashboard. (laughs) We do have a really good, I mean, we've got the master of data here, but like, does it change every five minutes? No, but it actually changes throughout the day. But anyway, but my mental problems aside, like what is your one view or one pane of glass, or maybe it's not one pane of glass. Like what are you looking at on a more often, like more often basis, more often basis, more regular basis that kind of tracks how the business is doing on a short-term, medium-term, long-term type of thing? If I'm thinking, I've got revenue metrics, which I think are different than some of like my team's KPIs. And so I do have to break those out, I think, just to like yeah, absolutely. make sense of my my brain, how it works. So from a revenue standpoint, things that I'm paying close attention to really is our forecast. I would say that's probably the biggest thing and how that changes, because I know that we've we've all had this situation where everyone's like, yeah, 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 our forecast looks strong. Pipeline is strong. We're great. We're going to crush it this quarter. And then you get to the end of the quarter, you're like, so what happened? Everything, right? Like everything, everything slipped, it pushed, it's down. I think I pay very, very close attention to our forecasting. And I look at that four to six months out. And so my team manages renewals. We manage renewals formally with customers on 120 days out. So that's four months before their renewal. But we actually start managing the forecasting and risk management and all of that six months. So we've got six months of data. It starts at that six-month mark. So you can imagine, I have a lot of data that I can actually start paying attention to from a revenue standpoint. So we're looking at that. Now, I don't look at that in a silo. All of those forecasted metrics, while there are numbers and and percentages and probabilities there, I also have that in line with all of our customer health and adoption and usage and engagement metrics because no one metric is enough. Yeah. So I always have like, this is the primary metric I'm looking at in any given dashboard. But then I have to have the supporting metric that allows me to dig in deeper to say like, okay, does this feel accurate? Or can I poke holes in this? Or does this look like it might slip? So forecasting data, that is big for us. And like probabilities and all things tied to what will end up being revenue growth. So NRR, GRR, logo retention, all of those things. And obviously we'll break that down. So I'm looking at it across CSMs, across segments, across regions, any which way I can slice and dice that data. It is cut up a billion different ways. Probabilities. Pipeline management, like a, you got it, industry, it's all there. On the customer side, when we're looking at data there, it starts with all of our onboarding metrics. So 
for onboarding, and I'm not going to give you guys my total dashboards here, but um, things no, that we look they, like. Uh, you know what? We, that As would be an entire new be. episode. Okay. So on the onboarding stuff, things that we're paying attention to is engagement because obviously we need our customers to be highly engaged, but not just are they showing up. We also look for roles of engagement. For us, we need admins who are going to be engaged. We also need the leaders engaged. The leader is who drives the strategy for customer success. You can't pass that off to somebody, right? This isn't about just creating playbooks and creating a health score. This system isn't your strategy. It is what powers your strategy. You need to be involved in the design of that. So we look at engagement metrics there for onboarding. We do track towards a timeline. So we do very much want to make sure that we're keeping pace on onboarding. It is very easy for our projects and initiatives to become deprioritized. So making sure that we're keeping on our timeline there. We also look at tracking towards our first results. Now, it's not a first win. It is the first thing that would say we are on track to see a win. If my customer is telling me, I need to understand where there is risk in my book, that is a very common ask that our customers will have coming into the partnership. Great. There's a multitude of ways that we can do that. But one thing that we will configure and look at is creating their health score with them, with data inputs that they're configuring. Once we get that set up, I haven't solved their risk problems. I haven't solved their churn problems. But I now have a metric that they can use so we can get there. So to me, that is a first result. So we try to track, one, did we get a first result for them? That directly correlates back to their goals, which we track also maniacally. And did we get validation for them that this that they have confirmed that this is a early result to what they want to see? So we pay a lot of attention to that. Integrations is big for us. The more integrated our systems are into their ecosystem, the stickier we are. So where are we plugged in and what are we plugged into? And is data either coming in or going out? Now, data going out is cool. That's fine. That probably means we're going to get broader reach. But data coming in means that the richness and the value for our technology is going to be greater. So we pay attention to what's being pushed, what's being pulled, and then what systems it's being pushed and pulled from. Because all of those metrics actually mean a lot of different things to us. It's not generic enough to say, oh, we're integrated. Right? That right. doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. So onboarding, again, not going to unpack this too, too much. We look at engagement, ongoing engagement for customers. Usage and adoption is huge for us. It's not, are you logging in? I don't care if you log in. I don't care if you log in once a month. Are you using the platform in a way that aligns with what you've told us your goals are? We have goal tracking and client success. So we also are tracking that. How are we pacing towards their goals, their ability to realize value from the partnership, other things that I'm paying attention to. Pulse, we have a product called Pulse in our software, which is basically our sentiment on the partnership. Right. So we have a health score, which is, I always say, like, this is how your customers are behaving. And then we have the pulse, which is, like, the state of the business. Like, if a customer's data and their health score could be, like, bright green, right? This customer is doing great. They're getting all the value. We're super engaged, all the things. They just got acquired. Guess what? Their pulse is going to be, like, bright orange for us. It's like, high risk, yeah. high risk. Because we yeah. know that if a customer in our book gets acquired, likelihood they're acquired. They're not doing the acquiring and likely that there's going to be tool consolidation. That's like almost an inevitable outcome for us. So we pay attention to the pulse. Those are a lot of different metrics that we're looking at. Again, I have a laundry list of things that I'm paying attention to. Adam, kind of like you, I got like a wealth of data. But this is the benefit of actually working for a customer success platform is that I have all of my customer success data readily available all the time. In your customer success platform. In my platform that, that I use all day. Because so, so nice. like you guys, I have to be what we say is customer one. Meaning exactly. my team is the first customer, right? We use our platform all day, every day. I don't even use a CRM. Like we don't use Salesforce or HubSpot or anything like that. We manage all of our renewal through our platform. Yeah. That's great. I love that you have such a breadth of metrics. You're looking at qualitative, quantitative. 
a little bit of a departure, but are you leveraging customer marketing programs to help the CSMs along that oh, journey? That looks like a hot. There's I a love big side customer, there. I know because I love customer marketing. In fact, like I've always owned customer marketing. We are not in a place right now where we are large enough. Like customer marketing, sadly, is is would be deemed a luxury for us. So I don't have designated resources for that. I think part of what we're thinking with our scaled programs and some of the new reprioritization of our team will allow us to focus on those in small pockets. But no, sadly, my answer is no, we're not. We're not doing a good job today. If you had won Powerball on Wednesday and had money for customer, well, I would just imagine if you won Powerball. I was going to say, if I won the Powerball, am I coming back to work? Well, you'd be like, I'm not coming back to work, but here's some money for customer marketing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What would you do? How would you think about that? Oh my gosh. Okay. If I get a big chunk of money right now, do I have to use it in my org? No. I mean, I, no. you don't also don't okay. have to use the entire $1.7 billion. I mean, okay. feel free to like, well, okay, scale back. You're right. I'm going to like go shopping a little bit. I'm yeah. really yeah. big into shoes and bags shoes. and jewelry. Yeah. Shoes, of bags, course. jewelry. Because it doesn't matter how much you weigh or what your body is doing that day or month. Those things will always fit. Shoes, bags, jewelry. I anyway, personally, do. earrings. See? Don't. Oh. I'm not going to start about shoes. My, I have a 14 like, I, double wide shoe. I can't get anything. Oh, so anyway, you can't problem. even buy <laughs> shoes. You have them custom. I have to order, order them from I'm like sorry. weird places, and they look like That's, I have foot sound, problems. It, sa- it sounds like they probably look weird too. It's, it's an ongoing. Okay, maybe you so send us a picture. Sorry, before okay. just one point. Wait, okay, Adam in this little box in this podcast looks like a little. Per- Adam is so tall. Not oh, I got when she said his shoe size. A hundred percent. I guess that though. What nobody who's nobody who is my husband's height. My husband's five eight. Nobody who's five eight is walking around with a fourteen and a half foot. So how tall are you, Adam? Six three. I mean, it's is that I don't. I, I had that's not freakishly tall. It's, no, but you're I, tall. I had worked. You're tall. At the yeah. company. Yeah, for six months, and like we all kind of finally met. We had our customer conference last year. I hadn't met anyone in person. I walk in, they're like, so tall. I'm like. I mean, yeah, like I'm tall. I mean, but like, I do then, that with a lot of people in my company too. It is, it, it. Listen, I think once you cross over six foot, you're like in a different, you're in a different echelon of tall. Yeah. It's, also, when you just see someone in a little box for six months, I like agree. you really don't know what to expect. And so we weren't expecting that, Adam. Expect the unexpected. That's all I can say. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I had to spend all this money you guys just gave me. Can I be for honest? Sure. So if I'm at client success, I'm hitting Powerball. I'm actually going to hire us a bunch of like, engineers product managers product designer like i mean just i'm going all my money i'm going all in on product and it's just because the space that we're in is changing so rapidly especially with ai lm like everything right now just to accelerate the pace of innovation for my customers i feel like that is an investment for my customers also if i could have a product that was easier stickier better they probably need less of us then we go into like that could it be a plg thing anyway so product, product is getting all my money. I'm sure my SVP of product would be thrilled yeah. to hear me say that. They love all... you right now. I know. Yeah. I think they love we'll me all the time. We'll just share that one snippet on LinkedIn <laughs> over and over again. Product yes. gets all my money. We'll just yes. play it product, over product and Product gets all the money. Product gets all the money. Product. There you go. There you go. All right. So you love your product team. How do you maintain alignment with the CMO and the CRO? Like I think of going into a board meeting, right? Yes. At the end of each quarter. How do you make sure that you're looking at all the metrics, but frankly, they're the same metrics and the right metrics, and you guys are all aligned and telling the same story. How do we get there? How do you get there? As and leaders, how do you we should a really have a strong relationship. As leaders, the company, like we are operating to company metrics, not our own individual metrics. I think once you're in the C suite, it's no longer about what is your team's metrics, it's 
are we contributing to these greater metrics? And I'll tell you, like, the best way that I've driven alignment is always talking to my counterparts about how my team is helping them achieve their contribution to those bigger goals, right? Like, if we're saying revenue is the goal, well, I'm talking to product and saying, like, listen, product, you have to innovate and you have to design. We need new products so we can sell it. But here's how I can help you do that better and faster, giving them access to our customers. Again, product feedback, product roadmaps, helping them, ex- like, organize and prioritize things that are going to have direct impact on revenue. I think product teams who are working in a vacuum where they're not really in touch with what their customers need or want, they're not going to design things that are going to sell, things that will be sticky, that will be adopted, right? And so you have all this like vaporware that's existing. So for me, it's a lot of like, how do I speak to the things that are going to support each of them for my sales team? Great. Listen, we have actually curated 10 new case studies this month that we can help put on the website. We're happy. All these customers, they've actually volunteered to do video testimonials and they've all opted in to be references. So if you've got any customers that need it, these top 10, not only do we have their stories, but we have these. Let's make sure that you, your top 20 customers in your pipeline right now, let's get them on calls with these 10 folks, right? Like let's map them together. I feel like the best thing I can do is always work to make sure that the work that I'm doing help support all of their priorities. Because ultimately, if we do that and we operate that way, we're going to hit those North Star metrics. And they do the same for us, right? Like my sales team, I love when they tell me, listen, we obviously have a very clear ICP. In an ideal world, we would only sell to our ICP. But guess what? That doesn't always happen. But they do a great job of one, educating me well in advance of a deal closing if something is not an ICP, what that customer needs to be successful, how we can work together to do that, They do a great job on sales handoffs to customer success, facilitating the partnership, building us up, setting proper expectations. Those all sound like small things, but like those have real big impact on my team's ability to be successful with a customer. So I think that's been the real strength in how I have been able to work in organizations where we've been able to be successful and hit metrics and drive the business forward is that strong alignment, but then also the mutual benefit of all the work that we're doing. Nobody is responsible for just their work or their metric, we all have to partner together, but have specific KPIs or metrics or activities that you're all very clear on of like, what is that mutual benefit? That actually sounds like one team. Oh, okay. Going back to your one team. We totally just, we totally (laughs) tricked you. We tricked you You into getting there. Darn it. Uh, So we're going to, so again, you're the first, so this is going to be an attempt at what we're going to call a a repeatable or the section of this. We're going to always ask the same question to kind of finish things off. Ooh, interesting. So it's going to be fun or it's going to be not fun or it's going to be stupid. I think it's going to be good. Well, ask three questions, edit out the ones you don't like, and then keep the one that you think. We've only got one. (laughs) I think it's it's pretty basic. It's pretty basic. We believe strongly in our one question. We do. We're like, we've really, so. I like it. Conviction. What is the most ridiculous thing? you've ever been asked to do either positively or negative. Say it's something like, well, that was the most, the stupidest thing I've ever had to do or, or that is the genius idea. That's ridiculous. And did it work? Okay. So this is actually a negative one. I was working for a company that was sunsetting a product and we did not have strong internal communication and alignment around the sunsetting of this product. And so product had been doing all these things behind the scenes and nobody had been really communicating things with the customer organization, which I was heading up, only for me to go into our leadership meeting one day and then them to tell me, you have to let all of your customers know that this product will no longer be available effective on Monday. This was a Wednesday. The following Monday, this product would no longer be available. If they want to keep it, it is going to be an extra cost. And we did not have a plan if we shut it off. I'm like, where's the data go? What happens? What are they using? Do we have a new product? 
There was zero plan. And so the ask to me was, can you communicate to your customers that effectively in what, two, three business, two businesses, they were going to lose access to a product that they were all using or they could pay more for an old product and we weren't going to be enhancing it. So it was going to live there until it dies. That was was what I was asked to do. A question when B, like you said, you just set the standard for ridiculous, I think. I think so. Well, I mean, the, all of our there guests. wasn't a standard. So now I'm the standard, right? Well, you are, so. well I mean, we, we don't want to walk away and be like, Christy equals standard for ridiculous. But <laughs> the question, you set the standard for the answer. So now, that, now that, we're gonna, that question works. It works. It's a good question. I think it works. So what happened, by the way? Did you do it? We did not do it because I will not be bullied into doing ridiculous things. And honestly, like, it, it's cool. If they would have told me that I had to, that's when I would have handed in my resignation. Because like at that point, it's like, what are we doing here, right? Like, I don't want to be a part of an organization that is so disconnected from our customers. And like, I'm leading the customer function, right? Like, that just kind of means like, I I have no support. So I asked a billion questions because that's my way of being passive aggressive is asking questions. So I led with with passive aggressive. And then I was like, listen, here's the reality. I'm not doing this. And here's why, right? We didn't have good answers to any of these things. My team is not set up to succeed we need an extended timeline here. So I'm glad to hear that you guys, from a product standpoint, have a lot of things in the back end figured out. Clearly, we all need to figure things out on the front end. I need another 30 days before we can even come back to say, this is the date. And with a lot of resistance, and I'm sure that I was no one's favorite person, this project did get dragged out for another 60 days because it took us 30 days to even start to figure things out. And then I did require, I'm like, we need 30 days to give our customers a heads up that this will be happening. You can't tell people they have a day. So 60 days later, we did the thing. We did it better. It was not seamless. It was still icky, but it was less icky than it would have been if I was a yes gal and I just did what I was told. Wow. Love it. Huh. Well, that was, I mean, again, you set the ridiculous standard. I think we're going (laughs) to... We could talk all day. I mean, I, I've I've learned I've learned more than I think I have learned about CS in one session. So thank oh, you. Oh, well, that's really great. Super, oh, super, super interesting. I think really a great start for us to talk about just the revenue teams as a whole. Simon, anything you want to? Thanks for the time. It was great. I, as somebody who runs marketing but also runs analytics, I love how data driven your org is. I love how you are using the data to align things. And frankly, you're just awesome. So thanks for I'm, coming on our this. podcast. Wow. What a way to end my Friday. You guys are so good for my soul. This was great. Also, just super flattered and humbled to be asked to be the first guest. And I can't wait to hear how this turns out, but then also to follow your journey. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Revenue Makers. Do you have a revenue project you were asked to execute that had wild success? Share your story with us at sixcents.com slash revenue. We might just ask you to come on the show. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, be sure to follow along on your favorite podcast app.